we got a publicist. And getting a publicist is not cheap. However, it is, for very us, was useful. very useful in that she got us into a whole bunch of magazines, which then got us into the Washington Post, which was awesome, which then Glenn Beck found out about, and he did a whole rant about it. That's when things got hairy for just like a day, and then it went back. And, and then it way. went back to normal. Um, but all of that press increased our views a lot. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 63. I'm Elise Siebert. And I'm Leslie Shannon. Today we are talking to the creators of Control-Alt-Delete, Margaret Ketch and Roni Geva. We discuss their web series, now streaming on Vimeo, the circle of collaboration, and, and being funny. We were just talking yeah. about that on the way over here. Yeah. We were like... Yeah, it's like it's like it's like Kevin Bacon for real. Like yeah. you heard like the seventh seventh degree. Like we're all connected. Like if it's yeah. not even seven, it's like a degree. Yeah. Totally, mm-hmm. it's yeah. true. It's yeah. like three people. Well, at it's most. Be- yeah. it's because when you find women who want to collaborate with each other and like lift each other up and be a part of this change in the industry. Um, they tend to be the kind of people you want to be around, and then that connects you. You're like, oh, well, then you know that person because they're also the same type of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just a beautiful. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful thing. How did you guys hook up? And yeah, that's one of my partners. questions. That's I want to know. Great. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, uh, we're doing this. Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. We're doing um, it. Yeah. Here so, we well, we met at our day job like nine years ago in Chicago. In Chicago, and then when we moved here, we were like tertiary friends. I like, invited her to high holidays at my house. So I went to all the Jewish holidays <laughs> there because I didn't have a community to do that with. And then when we moved out here separately, but right at the same time. We were like, we, we don't know just, anyone. Let's be friends. And then, and we were like, we should just. It's okay. <laughs> we were like, we should just um, make something and put it on our reels and shoot it on our phones just for fun because we wanted more stuff on our reels. And it turned out that a friend of mine from high school was a working DP and had like awesome equipment and whatever, and was like, oh my god, I will totally just shoot this for an afternoon in my house. And we were like. <laughs> Okay, so we did that, and it went really well, and then it got into a good festival, and we were like, oh, we're not idiots, which is very affirming. (laughs) What are we doing? Should we introduce ourselves at all? No, we're going to introduce you. Great. Great. You guys guys are just here for the journey of the conversation. You don't have to do anything but tell us everything. Okay, great. That's the only responsibility. So then we decided that we were going to make a feature. Which we were like, oh, dumb. yeah, let's write a feature. This we is going to be amazing. I love idea. that you went from, like, an afternoon at your friend's CV <laughs> yeah. to your like, feature. We were like, <laughs> it's so easy. We'll just do it longer. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but, but the one thing I would say about us is that we are super nerds and we research stuff very thoroughly. And so we very quickly realized, like, oh, this is like a five to ten year project that we're embarking on. So in the meantime, let's let's keep working on the feature. But in the meantime, what do you want to do? And Margaret was like, I w- I'm curious in exploring the idea of a web series of taking a story and telling it in chunks. And I was like, okay, I hadn't really thought about that before. I because I come from a theater background. I, I in my head, I was like, the only way to tell a story is in two hours, <laughs> which is. I also come from a theater. Background. Yeah, and you do, but you're smarter than me. So. That is not true. We just think differently. We think about differently, things. which is actually why this Very partnership helpful. is incredible. Yeah. Um, and so she said, I want to for each other's deficiencies. It's true. Uh-huh. Um, and so Margaret said, I want to do a web series, and I was like, okay, what about? And she said, abortion. I just had, like immediately had this vision of, um, kind of like slices of life in two to four minute chunks and um, I was based like, on real stories. And I said, yes, fine, but only if it's funny. Of course, I can't. We can't help it. Um, and uh, Yeah, and otherwise that's a dark rabbit hole to go down if it's not funny, right? Like, Well, it's just precious and yes. boring then. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, and, totally and, and it's a story I mean, that's already been told. Yeah. Well, not really. I mean, there aren't that many abortion stories out there. Sure, but the ones that are out there are fraught. Are fraught. Yes. That's, mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, and most abortions, in fact, statistically speaking, ninety five percent of abortions aren't filled with regret or frothiness. Mm-hmm. As compared to frothiness. <laughs> Do you feel like that has anything? I, think I, I was looking at ultraviolet, and it was okay, like ninety five. Yeah. Most of them. Do you think that has anything to do with? 
how gender-wise males have dominated the story sphere of being directors and writers. Yes. So abortion. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Quick answer. Quick answer. No, I think it's more complicated than that. I okay. think that it also has to do what, – what it really has to do with is the fact that the right has – taken the narrative around abortion and decided that it's this huge deal. Um, And so because the silent majority of people who actually believe, which is like 70% of people, believe abortion should be legal and Roe v. Wade should stay in place. In America. In America. 70% are not talking about it. And the people who are talking about it are the small majority who are vehemently opposed. I'm sorry. Thank you. The small, the small majority, the minority of people who are vehemently opposed, and so they have just taken the narrative and they have made it not okay to talk about this incredibly normal, really safe, very common procedure in a funny way. They have made it not okay. It has not historically been a huge deal, and they are making it a bigger and bigger and bigger deal. So that means people feel like they have to acquiesce to that and make it fraught because that is the only voice that is being constantly heard by the public right the public isn't hearing the 70 percent who are like i'm fine with it what they're hearing constantly is the 30 percent and so hollywood is in the business of entertainment and if it's about business it's about money and so they're not going to tell the stories that they're afraid that people are going to you know then shun Fox for the rest of time because, you know, they had an abortion storyline on one of their TV shows. What's interesting is when we tell people that 70% of Americans are actually totally fine with Roe v. Wade, they're surprised. They're like, oh, I thought it was so few of us. Yeah. Because that's how strongly the other side has co-opted the conversation. And our side is scared to talk about it. Because of that. And to be fair, I was one of those people who had an abortion and didn't talk about it for a very long time very long time. I talked about it the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fair. Well, I shut down a lot of conversations because it's like mentioning the Holocaust a lot. Like, like, it's gotten a lot better. It has gotten a lot better. But when when people were like, oh, when I was pregnant, blah, 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 I would be like, oh, yeah, well, when I was pregnant, and they'd be like, you have a kid? And I'd be like, no, I had an abortion. Shut down the conversation over the end. And it it has changed a little bit, which is nice. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating, too. That, that you've noticed that. Yeah. It's like people who had abortions can't say that they were pregnant when they 100% were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking hmm. of like other things, like hard to talk about things like suicide or murder or like why. People talk about murder and suicide all the time, especially all in the, the media. Time. I know. So why, like it, it's, it's, really fa- it's really fascinating and it also fascinates me that this is a, like a woman's thing. That has been like there's so much shame around it, and 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 to be fair, what I would add is so much of that is the shame that comes along with um, all of us agreeing that women are sexual creatures. So and our right, so in our society, there is this sort of like criminalization of women's sexuality, right? Men are like foxes, right? Ooh, he's a silver fox, right? But women are, well, why didn't she just close her legs? Mm-hmm. Right, when it's like, I'm so sorry to report, but to get pregnant, you need sperm. (laughs) So if you need the sperm, it needs to come out of the penis, while the penis is usually, not always, but if you're doing it like the old-fashioned way, the penis is inserted in the vagina. So there's two people participating in this, and only one person gets shit for it, because women are not allowed to be sexual creatures in our Puritan society. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, abortion is linked with shame, because it's linked with bodily autonomy and sexual autonomy. Which is why people are only, a lot of people are only okay with abortion in the case of rape or incest, because that's like, oh, well, it's not her fault, because she was raped. Which then again doubles down on the idea that I'm allowed to have an abortion only after a man has taken the autonomy from me. So it's doubling down on taking away my physical autonomy, which to me is like, well, it just makes my whole body explode it's, with it's, rage. <laughs> it's fucking batshit crazy is <laughs> yeah. what it is. It's yeah. ridiculous. And, and you're so right. Um, I remember, so I grew up in Mississippi. Um, so I have a very interesting perspective and 
I mean, you also grew up in the Midwest, and so you have a different perspective as well. Um, but wait, yeah. where in the Midwest? Nebraska. Oh, where in Nebraska? Lincoln, my capital, Lincoln. capital city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a friend in Geneva, which oh. is near Lincoln. Yeah, but it's like the tiniest it's little town. It's really ever. tiny. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of tiny towns in Nebraska. There's mm-hmm. same for Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Like most of them are small. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, that's it's just something people don't talk about. Like, and because I had a um, a differing opinion than most people. Um, abortion is not like it is like a do not touch with a 10 foot pole kind of conversation topic because so many people are so deeply um, religious and they consider it to be murder. The, also, the thing that they don't talk about is sex. And mm-hmm. um, I always thought there was something wrong with me when I was growing up. I was like, why do I have, why do, why do I think this will be so much fun all of the time, mm-hmm. you know? And like I remember like feeling deep shame after uh, masturbating and like all of that. Like it's, it's this thing, this um, societal just cloud they put over you as a woman that you can't, you, you A, don't really have control of your body because there are so many different aspects of life are controlled by men, but also that it's not acceptable for you to um, have desire. Right. Yeah. And um, wait, I had a thing. Oh, yeah. If you want to talk about um, religion and religion and, and abortion it's a very interesting topic because people bring up religion um, all the time all the time when and it guess comes what? to being anti-choice we have a surprise for you what is it There's Bible doesn't care Bible doesn't <laughs> care so in the first and in the second testament there oh is God. no mention of abortion none there's one story do you want to tell it sure so I asked my rabbi our oh, rabbi really because hey guess what we go to the same synagogue (laughs) Um, and and I was like hey what does the bible say about abortion or the Torah or whatever and and she was like so there is one story about it where um, a man punches a pregnant woman in the belly and she miscarries and he's ordered to pay reparations to her husband we're just gonna like put aside the fact that a woman is also property and pay reparations to her husband we're just gonna put that totally aside and not talk about that we can unpack Um, that another another podcast but what that shows is that what he did was bad but it wasn't murder because if it was murder, he would have been killed. Because this but is he was eye for an eye to times. Pay money, mm. so it wasn't actually murder. It was it loss was like of property. Loss of property. Now that's interesting. Also, she said that um, in Judaism, a fetus is not considered a person, and this is also true medically, I believe, until the head of the greater part of the body is out of the mother. Huh. And that's when it becomes a person. So go. here's the interesting thing. When I've talked to people who are anti-choice um, and they talk about religion and I say all of this, they'll be like, yes, but in the New Testament, he talks about how I knew you before, which is like, that's fine. So now we can talk about how, you know, spirits enter bodies through however you want. and But that's not like, Again, there's no mention, there is no mention anywhere in the first or the second testament that tells you if abortion is yeah. or is not okay with Jesus, with Abraham, with Moses, pick a dude. <laughs> it's <laughs> fine because it's all dudes, in, all dudes in there. And guess what? It's fine. So it's I want to circle back. So, okay, we have all of this <laughs> on our society, all of the, you know, all these layers. How do you be like, we're going to make a comedy about this? Well, and not only just a comedy, but we're going to tell it in tidbits, so different story. Like, how did you first, diving into the storytelling of it, be like, this is the best way to tell Well, this that was story. just my vision, like, immediately, as soon as we started talking about it. So usually the way we work yes. is I will be like... Tent pole. I have this idea, and I want, like, this is the vision I have. I have this picture in my head. And then Roni. Which is a giant circus tent. It's yeah. a beautiful circus tent. And, and then she's like, Roni, I have this circus tent. And then I'm like, okay, great. So these are going to be the acts, and these are going to be the um, kind of snacks that we have, and this is how the seating is going to go, and um, and this is the poster. And that I is. go in and rearrange everything. Yes, but it starts with Margaret saying, I have this sort of vision. And so Margaret said, I have this vision when we were talking back and forth about, like, what are we going to do instead of a feature? It's like, like visual flash image thing mm-hmm. is usually how it It's a universal right download, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, she said that, and then we were like, okay, well, let's interview a bunch of women and hear their stories. So we both went on Facebook and just said, if you have an abortion story, we would love to hear it. We interviewed men and women and got a whole bunch of stories. 
And then curated them. Yes, we curated them and then also sort of found the funny. So the thing about it is I had a very funny abortion. I love those two phrases together. Right. When I say that out loud, people are often flabbergasted and that's fine. But you can also say, you know, my mom's funeral, bless my mom. My mom's totally alive and everything is good. Knock on wood. But my mom's funeral was very funny. Right. Sometimes There's shitty events and, yes. are funny. So I'm not saying like my abortion was like unicorns and sparkle town. It was very painful, but I'm incredibly grateful that it happened. But on the day of, so many funny things happened that we felt like that's too much for one person to have because no one would believe that that all happened to, <laughs> to one, one lady. <laughs> and so so out. we sprinkled some of my funny things that happened in my abortion onto other people's abortion stories. And so we were able to curate these stories. We were able to mine the funny in each person's story because people did have funny moments happen to them. And then we were able to like sprinkle my extra stuff onto other people's. And also in terms of funny and abortion, um, people use humor to cope with situations that are difficult. Exactly. Most people do that. Exactly. It's a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Most people mm-hmm. I want to be around do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Totally. So that even though we have one story, um, a friend of ours was 15 and a half weeks and there was a chromosomal abnormality and she basically had to have an abortion. It, w- it, it was would a have very wanted died pregnancy. no matter she, what. She, it was like very, very wanted. It was very sad. And... She was making jokes the whole time. So it's not like her abortion was funny. It was actually tragic. But she found the funny in it in order to cope with that. So that so the way we tell that story is from her perspective of finding the funny in the dark. And I would say we didn't come into this being like, we're going to change the world. We just wanted to, to make this show. We just deeply were curious about the subject and we wanted to make this show because it felt important to us. And then as we were digging into all these stories and as we realized that when we actually said to people, hey, we'd like to talk to you about abortion, they felt so relieved and, and excited and delighted that there was a, a space to talk about it. Then we started realizing how important the work was. Well, I mean, I knew, I'm going to feel like we kind of knew right away in, all, in some ways because yeah. when we had our abortions, again, separately, not together. But at the same um, clinic. At the same clinic. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> the same day. <laughs> same day <laughs> oh my God, let's go get many petties and then an abortion. abortion. Um, we, so uh, we had a similar experience. I was alone when I found out I was pregnant on tour with a children's theater show in South Carolina, I think. And so I took a pregnancy test, was like, oh, shit. And um, went online to, well, first, I was like, I want a hotline. This is when you use hotlines. So I called a hotline, and they were like, are you aborting the child? And I hung up, and I was like, that's not the right hotline. There's so much misinformation out there. Um, But then I was like, Google, please show me stories of people like me. Other people have been through this. Like, I want to hear their stories. And there was nothing. Granted, this was a while ago. So there's a little bit more out there now. Like, yeah, but you can still count it on two hands. Totally. And and then there, back then there was nothing. So I actually started a blog that very night because I was like, there's nothing. I People need something to relate to. I need something to relate to. That means other people do also. So I started blogging about my entire experience anonymously and got a lot of vitriol for it, obviously. Um, and so it had always been kind of percolating in the back of my brain that if one in four women has an abortion – and there are no stories. Nobody has anything to relate to. So the like the goal was always to tell stories so that people would feel like they had someone like them. So they knew someone else who'd gone through it and maybe experienced the same feelings they did so they didn't feel like they were boxed in. But it really was amazing when we started how many people would come up to us at festivals and events and start talking about their experience and that I think was really kind of surprising that there were so many people who hadn't told anybody right they would come up and say I've never told this to anyone but and I think also coming into it with with the perspective of being like look when we were going to have an abortion and we looked to the media to find a story to relate to we couldn't find one so we're going to make the you know be the change that you want to see in the world that we came into it from that perspective, but we never thought, what are the greater societal implications of making this? Like, that's not how we wrote it. We just wrote it because we needed to write a good story. And then... We didn't want to preach. 
and it and I I don't think that when you watch our show it feels precious or preachy. I think it's just like, hey, look, people who have abortions and people who work at a clinic and funny situations. What's interesting is that then when you sort of look at it from a macro point of view, comedy has always been a huge force of social change in the world, right? So from interracial marriage with I Love Lucy to um, homosexuality with Will and Grace and and, and transparent for the transgender journey, right? And so here are all these huge, and, and cancer with the C word, right? So here are all these big things that people are scared to talk about and then a comedy comes on the air and people watch it and then they're like, oh, gay people aren't scary because I have two best friends that are gay that I watch on TV every week, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden it was very clear to us that what we have the opportunity to do is to say, abortion is totally normal. There's a woman who looks just like me and she's a mom just like me and she's, you know, she looks just like me and she's having an abortion. Or there's and she a- doesn't feel shame around it. She just had one. Or here's a a woman who works at the front desk, and she looks exactly like me, and she works in an abortion clinic. Huh. You know, sort of that normalization through comedy. And the doctors aren't evil. They're humans, too. I know. I love um, in the second season all of the jokes that he, like, tells all of his patients. Uh It's hilarious. (laughs) That is. Oh, my gosh. That guy, for real, is based on my doctor. What? Who, so, who at the end, so this is, like, I think we put it in verbatim in season one, episode one. Yeah. Right? When she is finishing her abortion and the doctor's like, so, Nurse Nancy tells me you're a comedian. Let's hear a joke. Verbatim. Verbatim. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, "Ah, ah, ah." and then I I told him a joke, which is insane to me that I did that. But... So based on that, we were like, okay, so how do we take that, like, one step further? Oh, he also, like, just loves jokes. He tells all his patients a joke. Jokes. And then yeah. the one of the most fun things to do ever, if you ever get a chance, is sit around with your best friend and find silly jokes online. That, and then oh my God, read them the to each other. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, like, my we, husband we and I diving. do stuff like that all the time, actually, because uh-huh. he really likes puns. And, and I have, well, I have like started now to where I do them more and I'm so disappointed in myself <laughs> when I do. It's like, it's like its own shame. But yeah, like going through and reading them. But I'll find like the dad, I'll find like the dad joke. Well, it's because my dad and his dad both like, if something was funny once it was funny 1700 my dad also and also puns yeah (laughs) same ones over and over oh yeah and so he like loves it I'm like you've been prepared to be a dad for like your whole life Uh because (laughs) you have the jokes in place but yeah so I anytime there's stuff like that you guys can if you find like good links or whatever you can send it to me because I'll send it to him and he'll be (laughs) he'll be annoyingly happy about it so so going back um, making anything is hard uh, you need mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so then I feel like you guys are up against these societal things. Like how was the response when you were raising money? How was the response when you were putting it out in the world to get views? Because it's already hard to get people to watch stuff anyway. And then you have this like, oh, it's a a comedy about abortion. Like how was that Surprisingly, response? overwhelmingly positive. Great. So I would say there's there's sort of two stories to this, right? There's the funding for season one and there's the funding for season two. But both were overwhelmingly positive. They both were, truly. I so, love to hear that. Me um, too. So for season one, we shot two episodes, which we ended up reshooting completely. Mostly, yeah. Um, with our own money. Um, so I think we, we spent... shot them in two days. I think we spent like two grand. Yeah. And that was like just out of our savings. And... Um, I think so, actually we both booked... TV shows, uh-huh. and we're like, yay, now we can afford to... <laughs> I'm going to use this random money from whatever channel uh-huh. <laughs> to make this. Uh-huh. Um, and then and then our friend... Thank you, Netflix. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, then you can write it off, uh-huh. right? Yes, 100%. Um, and then our friend put together this great little sizzle, and then we used that and made a crowdfunding video and spent a month crowdfunding which we could do a whole different podcast on crowdfunding because yep. that's a whole We've thing. We've done those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, done those. we have. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that I think doing it about the subject and the way that we were doing it made people 
uh, really want to give us money mm-hmm. because they really wanted to see these stories told. Yeah, because there's there's a void here. Mm-hmm. You right. know, like there's so many filmmakers right now being like, I want to tell stories no one else is telling. Well, here you go. Right. Mm-hmm. This like here you go. Here yeah. this is a big story that nobody's talking about. Yeah. So I think I think we did uh, when we went into season one crowdfunding, we knew nothing. It was just a. Uh, can, we, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. Great. Yeah, I've we, said yeah. fuck already. Okay, so, great. Yeah. So, yeah. So, if you don't, I'll be disappointed. Amazing. So we're basically like a steaming freight train of fuck yeah. So we that was all we had in our favor going in, just like a ton of chutzpah. A whole, that was all we had really going in to crowdfunding in season one. And I think besides that, the reason it was successful was because the response was so uplifting. And there's so many, especially women, who would say like, hey, all of my friends, please give these girls $25 because this show needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So then the show happened. Hooray. And um, we, it went well. And Yay. it went well. Yay. And we did a thing, which uh, I'm really grateful that we did. What did we do? We got a publicist. Yeah, I'm so glad we did that. We should have done it earlier, but I'm glad we did it. Yeah, we should have done it earlier, but we really didn't know what we were doing. At again. all. So at all. we were like the blind leading the blind. But we got a publicist. And getting a publicist is... Not cheap. However, it is for very us was useful. very useful in that she got us into a whole bunch of magazines, which then got us into the Washington Post, which was awesome, which then Glenn Beck found out about and he did a whole rant about it. That's when things got hairy for just like a day and then it went back. And, and then it way. went back to normal. Mm. Um, but all of that press increased our views a lot, mm-hmm. um, as did daily sharing like, watch our thing, watch our thing. How about now? How about now? Every How about now? How about day. now? Um, so that all happened. And then um, an organization reached out to us and said, are you making season two? And we hadn't so, quite figured it out. We were either going to make a pilot or we were going to make season two. We were, we'd like written a pilot. We didn't love it. We were kind of futzing around. And, uh, and they said, well, we are requesting a proposal for a grant. And we were like, okay. What? Great. <laughs> like a cold call. And so we were like, okay. okay. Um, so we did that and we got this great grant. And so we knew, okay, we have to accelerate this whole process. And I'm so glad we did. I'm so glad we did. So we wrote season two and got one really fast. Like really fast and got really great help from. Um, Alexa Alamani, who you've had on the show, and then Joe Booth, who you should have on the show. Um, they were both very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, and we so season two was written, and then we were like, okay, here we go. And while we're still writing it, we were like, okay, we got a crowdfund because we're going to shoot in the fall. And this is like spring into summer. So we crowdfunded again. And I remember someone once being like, how could you possibly crowdfund again? And here's the reason why you can audience if you crowdfund the first time and you've literally never made anything and you're like i have this idea and it's gonna be great and please give me money and then people give you money and then you make the thing and then if it goes well it behooves you to crowdfund again to be like remember when i had an idea and it was just an idea well guess what motherfuckers i made it and it did really really well so give me more money because now it's not a risk yeah now i have a track record i have it yeah and the fun thing that we did too was we got uh, sponsored by a nonprofit, so donations were tax deductible for us this time. Yeah, which was very helpful. Oh yeah. my gosh! So we got that... a lot more donations. So we got a lot more donations, and then we were able to get some executive producers to come on board with e- an even bigger chunk of change that they that they would come in with, which was tax deductible for them. So we made season two for I think about six times more than we made season one. Which enabled us to do a, which you know, granted, was not that much money to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, in the scheme of making something like this, it was low budget, but it enabled us to make it much prettier to up the production really values. Pretty. Yeah, it looks it's really it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. We had things like trailers for our actors and stuff like that. And that and exists. Robot and a robot. Yeah, that robot. One of the most expensive. It was like the most expensive. It was thing. the most expensive thing we got. Um, but also, you'll see it. It'll, it'll happen later. Yes, it's, I believe <gasps> it's, it's like on it. episode yeah. seven. Um, yeah. So, and uh, and then also going back to what you were just saying, Margaret, we were able to create these eight episodes, but also cut them as a pilot. 
which were actually that's um, that's what we were doing when so you we said accomplished both today. of your goals. We sure did. We did actually. <laughs> I would say wow. that it that I would say that the pilot it's not a perfect pilot. If we were to write it from the beginning, um, I would change the ending. Um, but and the beginning and, and maybe the middle. <laughs> I'm I think, kidding. I think it actually works really well for the most part, except um, the last maybe five minutes or so would have been different if we had written. I mean, of course, there's things we would go back and fix. But yeah. um, but in general, as a whole, it works pretty well as a pilot, but I think it works slightly better as a web series because that's how we wrote it. And yeah. it's, a, I think, extraordinary proof of concept to walk into any studio and say, are you ready? Because we are. We are, yeah, yeah. and the world is, and somebody needs to be brave enough to do this. Mm-hmm. Is it you? Mm-hmm. So did you guys initially plan to release it on Facebook like that? Or We did. Okay, yeah. So what was that process like, and why did you make that decision? Um, and then we we changed that decision for season two. So season I noticed. Two. Yeah, um, that's what I was so curious So the about. reason we did it was, uh, it was for a few reasons. Number one, uh, the way Facebook... Um, the way views count on Facebook is different. It's also really easy to share things. And when it pops up on Facebook, you can watch it. Like it just pops up in your feed and you don't have to click to go somewhere else. We wanted to keep all the views in one place and we wanted to boost it. So Facebook really seemed like the bright idea. Um, and it's also a place where a lot of people talk about politics. Mm-hmm. And our show, I wish it weren't political, <laughs> but it is because, again, that. minority of people have made this a political issue. And so our show is political, which then makes Facebook a great space for it to be shared and shared and shared and shared. And I I think it still is actually a much better place for it to be shared than probably any other social media platform. We decided to go with Vimeo this time because uh, not as many young people are on Facebook anymore. Facebook is kind of like graduating to like older millennials, but a lot of Gen Xers and um, baby boomers are on Facebook. So we really wanted to appeal to a broader audience. Also, to be honest, when you upload a video right to Facebook, the quality is not that high. Mm -hmm. So if you want to watch it big, it's not going to be pretty. Even if you upload a high quality video to Facebook, it's going to look kind of pixelated. So um, Vimeo has a much higher quality of video. So that was also important. To and us. then um, again, as we are always learning, oh, we what we learning realize things. is that you can God. actually embed a video from Vimeo onto Facebook as if it is a native video. We learned this last week after failing. And, and so then it can be again. shared in the same way, which great. is great. Great. So yes. now you know that for the rest. Now of we the, know that for the rest yeah. of time. Well, and, and then the now the and now our listeners know that too, yeah. which uh-huh. is yeah. great. It's great to yeah. Know that. So that's that's that. Went, the, all those things went into the decision making process. Did we still make the right decision both both seasons? Maybe we don't know. Probably we don't trial know. and error. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you got more money for season two. How mm-hmm. do you decide where to spend that money? Well, I mean, we knew most of the money went to our cast. We knew that we wanted to get some stars in there. So, like, Ed Begley Jr. uh, obviously is probably the biggest name that we have. We also have some incredible – We have, I mean, all our actors are wonderful. Um, We have Alice Lee, who's about to blow up any second. We have Naomi Grossman recurring again as Lorna. So most of our money went to paying the actors, but it also meant that we got to have a bigger crew. We got to have um, fancier equipment. We got to have more lights. Like we rented lights this time. Our DP the first time just brought her own lights. So just everything got to be stepped up in terms of quality. It was all upgraded, right? So in season one, Margaret and I decorated the set and uh, and like went we went to my doctor's office and then my doctor who's so nice gave us like a roll of the like the the you know that tissue paper that you yeah, lay yeah, on, on on the, the tables yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he this gave us like a leftover roll to just get stuff like and, that for and us. you know this time we had adrian wittenberg who She's is amazing the most She's brilliant genius production designer who ever lived and I will want. I want to work with her on everything forever. Everyone hire her. Yeah, <laughs> she's in. She's in the UK right the UK now, now, which is so sad for us. Great for her. Yes. So I would like a bigger budget so I can just fly around. Mm. Universe, we're ready. <laughs> um, and so which we would totally do. P.S. Yeah, one hundred percent. But then, so so then we could be like, okay, we're gonna shoot at the Planned Parenthood offices in Altadena, which we did. But in order to make those match, the um, clinic stu- the, the clinic location, which was in Anaheim, we need to have this like mint colored wall. So Adrian just 
built one like <laughs> on set and it was and then decorated it with like beautiful posters and so when you look out of Joan's office when anybody walks in there's this like great mint wall the same color as all, all the walls and it's the same the wall um, when you look out of the break room same wall that different we, posters di- different posters that we added in so like that's that what kind we of got stuff. to have and and we were like we need a comic book and she just made one you made a comic so book from she, scratch so so th- so those so those are some of the small ways that we got to upgrade or we said you know huge, we need really. yeah we need a, a robot and so it was like so <laughs> Allison Powell who you will have on the podcast as well was like okay i found a lady who makes robots and that's the difference is we could be like what if we did this whereas the first time almost so we paid for the clinic location and everything else we shot in our apartments and friends' apartments. And it was the scrappiest of scrappy ever. And you guys, I'm sure, did like 17 million roles. Yeah, and 100%. the second time, it sounds like you had the opportunity to hire out people who could do that job specifically. And, and do it better was, than we could. Well, of course, because yeah. when you're not doing 10 things, when you have one focus, of course you're going to do well, it better. And we had like four focuses and it was better than 12. Yeah. for that. Yeah. You know, like they well, know what they're doing. And, exactly. and what was so gorgeous about it is that each department head wanted their department to be like the best, right? Mm-hmm. And to give the best quality, right? And so it's like our show, and I'm really excited about this, has people of many colors. And sometimes when you see that on TV, even on like network TV, they're not lit well. And it's like, <gasps> oh no, yes. they're not lit well. And that's a bummer. We can see the white people, but everybody else is like, eh, not as good. And our gaffer, please hire this woman, everyone, Heather Ballish, Baelish. I think it's Baelish, but I'm not sure. Baelish? Um, like Peter? <laughs> yes, like Peter. <laughs> um, she is such a genius when it comes to lighting, and she uh, worked so well with our DP. Everybody hire this woman, Tiffany Murray. Oh, we love her so much. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Um, their work together made it so that, I mean, they were doing things that we could never figure out, ever, Yeah. because that is what they, they do. do. You guys have a secret about your crew that – Probably the audience has picked up on now. That it's all ladies? All the ladies. Uh 100%, right? Uh 100%. And in post, almost everyone as well. We had one One man. Was that like, was that the same with season one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So was that a decision like, we are going to do this? Great. And I would say we're not going to do that for every shoot forever. And in fact, we have it. That was half and half. It was more men on the crew, wasn't it? it was half, half and half. half. Yeah, you were right. fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, I would like it to always be at least fifty fifty. I think that for this subject in particular, it was really important to us that we had all the ladies for so many reasons. Um, mainly also because we were tackling all these like big issues, and we wanted all of our actors to feel safe to make all of their choices and not think like, oh, I'm uncomfortable because, you know. Um, But I would also say that working with an all-female crew is magic. The collaboration is unparalleled. So we have this story, which I always refer to, but I think it's like just such a, a key story because I was telling it to a male producer friend of mine and he said, oh, I think it would be different if there were men. So here's what happened. Uh, it was like one of the first days of shooting and we had rented a piece of equipment from the location and that piece of equipment was failing. And it was failing in such a way that it was we couldn't shoot. It was a dolly. Mm. I'm really mad at dollies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we <laughs> all of they them. Cause problems they cause problems sometimes. They, oh my they God, do. Right? And um and so here's what happens. So this the the camera basically couldn't get off this dolly. And it was just a disaster. So our DP is like she gets Basically, the heads of all the departments that deal with this and then everyone who works in those departments is all standing in a circle around this broken piece of equipment. In the meantime, Margaret, the director, is over talking to the actors and making use of this time to be like, well, let's just rehearse and talk about other things for the future. I am being producer lady on the phone, making sure that we can get either another camera, another dolly, another like whatever we can get, like getting people because this isn't down in and Anaheim. And she got that plan. And like that plan is like set in motion in case we need to to do this. Um, and then our crew, our incredible crew. Oh, and then sorry, our scripty editor, goddess of all things, Amy Kirsten, is like on the phone with the person who rented us the camera to let them know that this is happening because. You know, that person needed to know. In the meantime, our incredible crew is like, I have an idea. Okay, 
Let's all try it. Nope. I have an idea. Okay. Let's all try it. Nope. I, and what was amazing is it didn't matter who said I have an idea. There was no hierarchy. Everyone was just trying to solve the problem. And the amazing thing is this was a big problem. It put us a couple hours behind. I was not worried at all. I did not think it was going to completely derail us. Like I knew it was going to set us back a little bit. But I had every confidence that it was going to get fixed because we had a plan. We had a backup plan. And we had people trying to fix the original plan. And they figured it out. I didn't have to put the, the backup plan into action. And we finished the day early. <laughs> so when I was telling this story to this guy friend of mine, he was like, that's so interesting because I feel like if it was a bunch of men, they might have been throwing their titles around. And they might have been throwing ego around to be like, well, I, I, I'll fix it. Which is not all men. Of course, it's not all men. And I know tons of men who are incredibly collaborative and don't care about titles and don't care about hierarchies. I know and that. We love working with and him. we love working with those men. But it was so interesting to me that like my producer friend was like, "Oh, that might have gone differently." And and really the bottom line of that story, I think, is that on our set, on the control delete set, story was more important than job titles. Story was more important than ego. Doing a really good job was more important than having your last 3 minutes of your lunch break. Everybody just wanted to make sure that this went as well as possible. And that the story was told respectfully and in a fun way. And um, and there was just so much joy and just general like, hi, I see you and I appreciate you for exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, like swing electrician. And yeah. I would come home like exhausted and depleted because these were really long days and we had been working so hard up to them. And I would like fall down on the couch and my husband would be like, I love seeing you this happy. And I would be like, oh, yeah, I am really happy. <laughs> but like, I, I, it was just so intense that I wasn't thinking about that these are the favorite days of my life. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, being on set regardless is so – it can it's so physically, emotionally – exhausting. But when you have a group of people who you're surrounded by that make you feel the way that you two are describing you felt at the end of the day, it's not it it's not exhausting in the same way. It's yeah. totally 100% worth every single step. And I find that in general my own experience is that when I have a larger female crew that I feel that way more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't wait to do this every day for the rest of my life with lots and lots of other people's money. <laughs> <laughs> and you will. Yeah, yeah. and you will. I mean, but, and I was even thinking as you were talking about that, like, like 10 years from now when you do have all the money or a network, like how you can recreate. Ugh, I can't wait. And we're going to hire so many of the same people and we're going to ask them for their recommendations. And one of the things that I love, like not to brag, but yes, totally to brag, we had so many of these really seasoned people on our set tell us that it was the best set they'd ever worked on. And I want, I think we're really good at creating that, that culture. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to create that culture. Like we had a like 16 person crew, I think, maybe a little more, 20 person crew. I, anyway, I it was somewhere go around, through the Google Drive. Fine, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around there. But I can't wait until we have like hundreds of person, don't listen to my grammar, crew, where we can have that culture, not just crew, but like when we're hiring you know, the accountant, the accountant, all the people in our editing bay, like everybody has that kind of collaborative, warm spirit. I can't wait to create the most collaborative environment that any show has ever had. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a woman to work there. It just means that you need to know how to play well with others and to put story ahead of ego. That, that's all it is, is story ahead of what I'm getting paid, what my title is, what, you know. It's about everyone feeling like there's a greater purpose to what they're contributing. Yeah. Which, again, with this show, is obviously really easy to do. But I feel like we did that really well with our short, too. We just yeah. did a short that had nothing to do with abortion. And no. we had, um, <laughs> and we had like, like when I said, like half the people were guys. And I definitely noticed there was a difference when they came in. And they came in kind of like, a little bit skeptical of what we were doing and uh, and one of them even kind of questioned what I was doing as the director and I had to be like no this is the way that I want it but by the end of the lot. day they were on board and it was just like an afternoon shoot it was again it was again it was something really small but I, I think we're good at that and I 
I'm really excited to bring that to something even bigger. That happens. I've directed a few things, and I've had that happen to me. It's crazy, and isn't it? it's like, and it is. It's by the end of the day, they're like, "Oh, you do know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're just doing it in a different way." Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I've witnessed that happen when the when the director is a man yeah. as well to have like the DP sort of question or the. I mean, our, it wasn't our DP. I want the DP. But, but the thing is, I want the DP to question what I'm doing as long as it's in a collaborative way. It depends who it is. It depends, depends who it is. If and how they're doing it. Yeah. If they're questioning my authority, yeah. no. Yeah. If they're like, I have this idea. Bring it yes. on. I want yes. all the ideas because they're probably going to be better than what I was planning or on doing. just try. Just try. Like, if you have a vision as a director, and it, I'm not even talking specifically about DPs, like even actors sometimes too. Like, just try it. Just try it, and then we'll do it your way. You know, like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. instead of unless there's like no time instead whatsoever, of arguing about which way to do it. You know what I mean? Like that's something. Too. But also, then if I say no, I don't want that. Then yeah, they have to listen. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. But exactly. if there is time, and I think it, there's a potential that it could serve the story in a good way. Why not try it? Yeah, right. Well, being open to that is just going to make it better. Yeah. Our well, whole goal is to make it as good as possible. Exactly. And that's exactly. also, I would say, how we write. So. Yeah. Definitely. You know, Margaret will say, uh, here's a joke, and I'll say, no, here's a joke, and she'll say, no, and so then, here's the best part. We have to come up with the third, the fourth, the 17th joke, and it will always be better than your mm-hmm. first idea. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so because we have a similar aesthetic but slightly different taste, we're able to find that thing that serves the story the best way because – of collaboration. Absolutely. And most of the time we don't remember who wrote what joke. I mean, often it's a combination of both of us anyway. Like someone came up with it and someone refined it, someone refined it again, someone refined it again. Um, But I think there's only like one joke in the entire second season that I am really proud of. So I remember (laughs) writing it. But other than that, I feel like it, like I have no idea. I have no idea who wrote what. And also, some of the actors came in and they delivered things in a different way than we imagined them, and they were so much better than we imagined them. And then it was like, oh, this is going to be so much more funny because of what you just did. Thank you for bringing that today. Yeah. Yeah. More brains are better. Better. Absolutely. <laughs> than <want>. one brain. <laughs> yeah, collaboration makes things better. That's great. 100%. Like, that could not, that point could not That's be That's the thesis. On. Yeah, the yeah. thesis of everything is this. So what's next for you, ladies? Well, we're pushing out season two. Yeah. Um, and we have ideas for a season three, which would take different formats. Um, we would love to get this as a half hour um, on a, probably a streaming service. Um, so... Right now, we're kind of seeing what happens. We're seeing what happens with season two so that we can take all of our ideas for this is a half hour out into the world and shop it. And also, we did shoot this delightful one take short. So cool. Like, one, the entire thing is one take. <gasps> I've done those before, and yeah. they are awesome it's and so intense. Cool. Oh my God, it was amazing. We had the best time. We shot in Malibu right after it burned, and it's so pretty it's so pretty i love it so much i love it also what's the log line of the short what's it about um a husband and wife um at the end of the world are playing battleship to determine who's going to live and who's going to die <laughs> fun what? that's great and Amazing. um so we're so we are just starting to submit that to festivals and we'll probably do you know the whole festival thing with that one we'll while be- at the same time submitting control delete to some television festivals as well Awesome. Well, you guys have to always keep us updated with what you have going on because we continue. We're a community, so we continue to share things Mm -hmm. after we've interviewed. We remind people of your episode and how awesome you were and all that kind of stuff. So you have to send us anytime you have new things coming out. Let us know and we'll we'll share. Thank you. We should have an article coming out. I don't know if we can say this. We should say well, this yet. episode is not coming out till June. So, right? Like yeah, June 3rd. June 3rd. Uh, well, so, yeah. hopefully it will have come out by then. And they oh, decide 100%. not to scrap it. Um, but <laughs> we should have an article in The Guardian coming out this week that was an interview with us and with Ed Begley Jr. Great. Um, and so he has fun. an, uh, an and interview. And you guys were just featured in The New York Times. You were featured in The New York Times. And They're so fancy, you guys. Oh, my God. So fancy. And, uh, like and a picture too. Yeah, like yeah. Just it was like, like Empire mention. and us. Yeah, on like, what to watch on Wednesday. It was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Ed Begley Jr. had an the interview Vulture. with Vulture. 
right? I think he has it this week, actually. Yeah. And then we have, they have a few other things coming Look at that publicist. You're getting... She's, she's great. very good we at like her. You guys, it's such a good idea. We've never had anybody say that before, I don't think. Not that really? I remember. I think a lot of people have said it, but it's so expensive that it's like... And I think... I think you have to decide as a filmmaker, like, is this the project for it? Absolutely. Yeah, this, I agree. Like, you we're know, not doing this for Take With Water. Yeah. You know, like, which I love. I love yeah. that little film, but we're not going to get a publicist, publicist for Take For That. Yeah. Because there isn't a story behind it. Yeah. This is a story. A story. And it's, yeah, the, there's, I think you're really smart about that. And I think you have to be, as a filmmaker, because you want to make more stuff, you have to be smart about where you're going to spend money. But yes, I agree. Like, having a publicist is, is wonderful. Bomb.com. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, nineties. Where can people find you, ladies, online? Yeah, and um, the show and everything. They so, can find us on Instagram at, at Control Alt Delete Show, and we're going to spell it out because yes. there are so many ways. We, we were idiots when it's we true. decided to name the show Control Alt Delete, which I think is a brilliant title. And Roni, you totally came up with that. Thank you. Thank um, you. <laughs> it's cheeky as fuck. It is. <laughs> we didn't think about the myriad of, myriad of ways you could spell it. So. C-T-R-L-A-L-T-D-E-L-E-T-E. So show. Show. And that's our Instagram. Then then on Twitter, we're Control-Alt-Del underscore show. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Control-Alt-Delete show. Spelled the same way as the Instagram And one. then, of course, there's Control-Alt-Delete show.com. And there's where, our Vimeo page. Right, which is uh, if, you, if you just look for the channel, it's Control-Alt-Delete show. We're gonna have all the links. Yeah, too. Okay. Okay. we just like, there's like some so people many. are visual, are, some people are auditory. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. um, and then if you want to find us, I'm at the Roni Geva on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Margaret Catch on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking thank time. You for having thank you. Yeah, you so guys are awesome. So inspiring to be around yeah. badass female I love it. Isn't it? It's the yes, the tits. It's the tits. Yeah. Literally. Well, thank you guys there for listening, and yeah. thank you guys for being here. Oh, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. Bye.